What we're going to examine today from the Word of God comes all the way from the top. And I want to remind us of that. This one comes from the top. I'm well aware of the fact that I don't have the experience of a mother. I couldn't have that experience. Uh, I do uh, happen to know or be married to one of the best of them. I was raised by one of the best mothers, I believe. And I have had the privilege of getting to know many honorable mothers in and out of the Church of Christ. But experience, while it can offer us wisdom beyond price, is not the highest authority. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, if you are a brother and sister in Jesus Christ, you know that there is a higher authority to which even our experience, including our feelings and all our sentimentalities, must bow. Even our culture. And beloved, I want to draw your attention to what is truly a biblical model of motherhood because God has spoken in the scriptures on this very subject. And God has given us his good model of motherhood. And given the nature of our study, we're not going to be in one single text, so we're going to be surveying a series of scriptures. And so as we begin, let's begin by acknowledging our God who is the author of motherhood. Let's pray. Our infinite and eternal, all-wise God, we thank you for giving us mothers to bring us into this life, to lavish love upon us, to nourish us, to raise us. Many are here because they were influenced by a mother and came to faith through the influence of a mother. To whatever extent, Lord, our mothers have had an impact on our life, we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for motherhood. And God, we acknowledge you this morning as the one who is here. We acknowledge your presence among us this morning. And we ask that you would help us as we begin this study. We ask that you would arrest us and help us to focus on the truth of your word. I understand many things we look at are not popular. They are very counterculture. And I pray that you would give humility, you would give patience, I pray that you would give clarity uh, to your servant. I pray that, Father, as we listen, that we would have hearts to receive what you have said as the words of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we tune in to the culture and we put our ears, as it were, to its ideas, we are everywhere confronted with the fact that our culture is attempting to redefine what it means to be human. Our culture is constantly attempting to redefine humanity. They are attempting to redefine gender, attempting to redefine the family. And along with all that, yes, our culture is attempting to redefine what it means to be a mother. Redefining motherhood. Back in the 1960s, as our nation was entering the so-called sexual revolution, there was a lot of restlessness with what were long considered social norms. And a woman named Betty Friedan publicly castigated the idea of mothers dwelling at home. This idea that a woman's place is in the home. Friedan said that basically women could not be emancipated truly until domestic life in the home occupied a very insignificant amount of her time. 
Now, we could understand if Ferdinand was simply overreacting to the Victorian model of a woman as a man's doormat, we could understand that. But she wasn't reacting to anything. Ferdinand, if you study her writings, was a closet Marxist. And she brought Marxism into the American home. She did not, along with other Marxists, believe in God. And after the Marxist tradition, she was for the abolition of the family as God designed it. Ferdinand demonized the role of housewives and idolized working outside the home. Even her sympathetic biographer, Damer Horowitz, admitted that she presented a distorted view of the evidence, exaggerating her case, suppressing the evidence of many women who were actually very fulfilled as stay-at-home moms. Pew Research Center just published a survey of mothers in the U.S. this week. I should just mention this. The vast majority of mothers actually find mothering extremely fulfilling. 83% of mothers say that being a parent is enjoyable for them. That's 8 in 10 moms saying being a parent is rewarding most or all of the time, the study showed. And the study also showed being a parent is a key part of most moms' personal identity according to this fall 2022 survey. The vast majority of mothers, 88%, say that being a parent is the most or one of the most important aspects of who they are as a person. That's all very interesting, especially if you've ever read The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan. But for the Christian, the debate really isn't over happiness, is it? It's not over what do you feel like doing? Does mothering make you feel happy? How do I feel about this? That's not the ultimate question for the Christian, is it? But what does God say? What pleases our God? That, for the Christian, is primary. And so when our godless culture speaks of redefining motherhood, we must first ask, what exactly do they mean by that? Is this redefinition of motherhood as we know it, is this simply exchanging one human convention for another? Is it simply casting off an old idea for a new modern one? Or is it something far more radical than that? Could it be that our culture is actually acting in rebellion to the Creator and attempting to change what He has established Himself? I don't need to tell you that mothers are important. We certainly know that because you wouldn't be here without a mother. And I'm glad, I'm thankful at least, for one, that our culture still acknowledges Mother's Day. We still acknowledge that there is a need to honor mothers. But what I want to draw to your attention today is that what is under attack is really a biblical model of motherhood. It's what God says about mothers. It's what God our creator intended from the beginning that mothers would be and do. And this matters because motherhood lies at the foundation of society. As motherhood goes, so goes the home. As goes the home, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the society. And as goes the society, so goes the nation. And the destroyer knows this. And he's working overtime to destroy motherhood. And we need to understand how important this is. Psalm 11.3 raises the question, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So this is very important. But some of you depending on your influence and how much of this culture you've imbibed, may find that things I share today will be somewhat offensive. And if I am unclear, I apologize. If I 
say anything that is contrary to what we clearly see in the Word of God. I stand corrected, but I am not going to apologize for what the Word of God clearly states about motherhood. That is what our God has said, and that is what Christians must believe. Christians of all people must be committed to a Christian model of motherhood. And, of course, no Christian will dispute that Christians should be committed to a Christian model of motherhood. But what is the real model for a Christian? A Christian model is a biblical model. The Christian derives his or her understanding of motherhood from the Bible, first and foremost, because that is the word of our God. And so in our brief time, we're going to examine three biblical responsibilities of a mother... Three biblical responsibilities of a mother which show us God's design. God's design for motherhood. You could turn with me to the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. The first responsibility in our creator's design for a mother is she cherishes her children as from God. She cherishes her children as from God. Genesis 3, and let's look at verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Eve was not only the mother of us all, she was the first and the model of all mothers to come. It's no coincidence that the first woman that God created was named Eve because Eve means life. It means living And the biblical model of motherhood demands that a mother first cherish life. She cherishes her children's life. Here's an amazing thing. If you look back at Genesis 3.16, just a few verses before, after our race was first plunged into sin, God said this. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. And that just doesn't mean to us in the room what it means to mothers. If you're not a mother, we just just can't fully appreciate what God's saying here. Anyone who's suffered childbirth can tell you it's not easy. It's extremely painful. And then it goes back to the curse. That's what the Bible teaches. And, And yet, as terrible as the process of childbearing is for us here in the 21st century, yet it was far more terrible a century before. About 100 years ago, the maternal mortality rate was 40 times higher than it is today. And if you go back a couple centuries before that, it was even doubled that. You see, it's even hard for us to imagine how terrible this is. This process of bearing children was painful. It came with many mortalities. And yet, countless women have not only been willing to go through with this crucible, but they have embraced it. And many have embraced it time and time again. Imagine that, by having subsequent children. That tells us, if anything, mothers are tough. Mothers are tough. But you know what? Mothers are not tough because they're made of steel. Mothers are tough because They cherish life in a way the rest of us do not. I think we need to acknowledge something here. Because in 2019, our former governor passed a law legalizing abortion for any reason, up to birth. And then our society celebrated. Celebrated 
Having, even having the One World Trade Center spire lit pink, showing they're proud of this. Our culture is proud. They celebrate what they claim is the right to rip apart babies in the womb. That's because we live in a culture of death, which encourages mothers to murder their babies in the womb. And if anybody listening to me is guilty of the sin of abortion, just understand this. God is merciful. God is forgiving. And this, is no, this sin is no exception God is merciful. He is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save the chief of sinners. And yes, there's mercy and forgiveness if you'll come to Christ. But we must understand biblically that abortion is simply our culture's euphemism for murder, for infanticide. Let's not play games with words. Let's call it what it is. Imagine trying to explain to Eve then, this first lady we read about, Genesis 3.20, the state of our sophisticated society and how far we've come and how we're able to so efficiently kill millions of babies in the womb. You know, with very little discomfort to the mother. I am sure the mother of all living would be horrified because her name means life. Her name means living. And mothers are to cherish and beget life, not take it. Biblical mothers cherish life so much that they are willing to lay down their life, if necessary, for the life of their child. That's what God designed for mothers. That's what's natural. They cherish life so much that they're willing to suffer the crucible of childbearing to see that little one into this world. And that's where motherhood begins, from a biblical perspective. Not with playing God so as to decide whether or not this child is going to live or not, but with cherishing the life of that little one. A mother following God's biblical model embraces God's design. That she, like Eve, should be the mother of life. The mother of the living. And so she's a woman who gives life, not one who takes it. But the biblical model of motherhood also demands a mother cherish her child or children as God's blessing. Children come from God. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now this is important. This principle. Children are God's blessing. Children are God's gift. Psalm 127.3 says. But many people in our society, it's no secret, see children as a burden. Children are a part of the curse. (laughs) Many people will give you that idea. You know, we have four little ones, Anna and I, and when we go out very often, you know how it is, people will see you with these kids when you're shopping or something and they'll say things like, oh wow, you got your hands full. You know, and I know what they mean. I think most of them mean well. And it's certainly true. Children do come as a burden, okay? They require a lot of work, a lot of attention. I certainly know that. But we want people to realize, yes, while our hands are full, our heart is even more full. Because it's worth it. Children are a blessing. Children are God's blessing. Children are a gift from God. And that's how we should look at them. You know, a couple years ago, the New York Times, I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but the New York Times decided that Mother's Day weekend was the perfect time to showcase women who openly reject being a mother. They reject motherhood. And so they're featuring stories about them on Mother's Day. I mean, do we need any clearer example of the hatred that our country's ruling class has reserved for children 
and from others. Well, throughout Scripture, God consistently describes children as his blessing. And you will have to decide who is right. Is it God or is it the culture? A biblically-minded mother is a mother who doesn't simply have children, though, but she loves her children, not because they're beautiful. Perhaps they're not. Not because they are easy to deal with. They certainly won't be. (laughs) She gives to them. She serves them, not because they deserve it, not because she feels like it. Many times she won't. But she does so, and she gives, and she gives, and she gives again because she knows these children are God's precious gift to her, and she wouldn't trade them for the world. God, we see in Scripture, values this image of a mother's love so much. Get this. He values the image of a mother's love for her children so much that he applies it to himself to describe his own steadfast love toward his children. Listen to one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible, Isaiah 49. In verse 14, Zion, that's the people of God, said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like God forgot you? God kind of set you aside? Maybe there's someone here. But God answers those doubts, if that's you. He says, verse 15, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. But I will not forget you, God says. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God says, Yes, even a mother may forget her nursing child. And we understand that is so unnatural. Because stories like that, even in a culture like ours, still make headlines. Isn't that something? Because mothers love their children. And and, and they don't have to work up that love. That comes naturally to them. That's part of their identity. God designed them that way. But God's love is like the perfect motherly love. That's what he wants you to know this morning. From Isaiah 49, he never forgets his children because he cherishes his children. And I know it's not always easy. Children are loud. Children are messy. Children will ask you a million questions. You play the game of 20 questions with a child. It just doesn't end there. And children are not only dirty and many times annoying, but sometimes they are just downright pathetic and helpless. And you got to do everything for them. It just, maybe it's just one of those days. And maybe, especially if you're riding on a plane, you're sitting next to that kid. And they're just whining and whining. And you're just tempted to reach over and, you know, slap them. I'm just saying. That's what we feel like. But the next time you're tempted to do that, just remember something. God says, children are a blessing. Children are his blessing. Children are his gift to this earth. Of course, a woman having and cherishing children isn't where biblical motherhood ends. The biblical model of motherhood also shows us she nurtures children to know God. So she she is cherishing her children as from God, but she nurtures children. She nurtures her children to know God. I understand some people say the world is overpopulated and so we don't need any more children. We don't need any more mothers. Or at least, hey, if you're going to have kids, a mom should only have one child in those communist countries, right? I'd agree that 
it's true, this planet doesn't need any more moochers. This planet doesn't need any more moochers who decide they'd rather not work but collect a check from those who do. I'd agree that populating the planet with people that aren't taught to work and produce and innovate, but only to live in animals' bestial existence to sleep around and collect welfare, that's a serious problem. Because, you know, God never designed the earth to sustain that. That is not sustainable. But that is not the plan of our God. And the solution is not no more children. That may be our culture's, this culture of death's solution. But God's solution is stop telling your children that they're animals. Stop telling your children that they're animals and start embracing your creator's calling as producers and innovators. Let's teach our children. They were put on this earth to produce and to give back and to well steward this earth that God has given man dominion over. This is where mothers come into play. Mothers are most important because mothers aren't simply called to populate the earth. Mothers are called to raise up a godly seed. And this calling also applies to fathers. I want you to understand that. We're talking a lot about mothers, but it's Mother's Day, right? So that's our focus. So in order to nurture children to know God, mothers will need to be two things. And that is in addition to being a Christian. We must first, as a mother, right, you must first have a relationship with Christ yourself. If you're going to be a Christian mother, if you're going to raise a godly seed. But in addition to that, mothers must be two things. First, to nurture children, mothers must be homemakers. Please turn with me to 1 Timothy 5.14. Every child needs a home. Children are like plants. They need roots that can grow into a rich soil. And God's design for mothers is to create a home environment in which their children can thrive. God designed that mothers would provide their children with a safe space to grow and thrive. And so to this end, God designed that mothers be homemakers. Now, 1 Timothy 5.14. And that doesn't necessarily mean that a mother will be a stay-at-home mom, right? But I'll explain that. 1 Timothy 5.14. Therefore, Paul says, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Now make note of that. Paul instructs Timothy, who is to instruct the women in his church, these widows in the church, get married, bear children, keep house. I think I just heard the sound of a million feminists crying out in horror. But you know, This is why feminists can't stand the Bible. They hate what God says. When Paul says here, keep house, this is plain. This verb means to manage one's household, and that is a responsibility God gives to mothers. God never asked for our opinion when he created us. He didn't ask us where we would like the earth, what planets, you know, would be also revolving around the sun and all that. No, God didn't consult us. He didn't have to. He's God. So why should God have to consult us about his design for the home or motherhood? Well, he doesn't have to. But again, we have to decide, are we going to trust God on what he says is his design for motherhood or are we going to trust our friendly neighborhood liberal who thinks they know better? Now flip over two books to the right to the small letter of Titus. 
And if you'll look with me at some, uh, there's some more biblical instruction here, which our Lord gives through his apostle to women in the church. Titus chapter 2, look with me at verse 3. 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious, gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. That's the word of God. Now this phrase, workers at home, comes from a single Greek word that means busy at home. Busy at home. This doesn't necessarily mean a mother must be a stay-at-home mom. That's not even an option for some mothers. But however long a mother is able to be at home with her children, listen now, the biblical model for motherhood is that a mother prioritize her children. The biblical model for motherhood is that a mother prioritize her home because that is what her children need. Now, let me explain. I understand this is not popular, but this is biblical. Let me explain. I'm a full-time minister. I'm in full-time ministry. It wasn't always that case. A couple of years, even just a couple years ago, I was working a part-time job. And most of my time in ministry, I've worked part-time jobs to make ends meet, to provide for my family. And uh, in fact, Kevin now is working a part-time job. We'd love to have him on full-time as God allows. It's similar, though, with motherhood. You can be a part-time mother or a full-time mother, but you can't be both at the same time. And uh, the, re- the reality is, if you spend, as a mother, 40 hours or 40-plus hours away outside the home, that is 40-plus hours or so, that you are not in the home with your children raising them, nurturing them. And no one's saying that's wrong. If that's what you need to do, then that's certainly the right thing for you to do. But I do worry about Christian homes. Christian homes where mothers give up full-time mothering for part-time mothering because they find that necessary to sustain a luxurious American lifestyle. They give up full-time mothering for part-time mothering or hardly no mothering maybe because they got to keep up with the Joneses. Or maybe they're making unwise credit decisions and they're in debt. And uh, there's a liberty as to exactly how much time mothers spend with their children. But remember this, you can't have your cake and eat it. Anytime a mother is pursuing a career outside the home, that is time away from children. And just like a church loses advantages when a pastor is spending time outside the church working a secular job, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes that's necessary. But to the extent that the pastor is working outside the church, that's time he's not spending in the flock. And in the same way, a mother's ministry is her home. It is her children. That is what Paul means. That's what 1 Timothy 5.14 means. That is what Titus 2, 3-5 through is saying. That a mother's place, her priority is to make sure the house is managed because those children have to be nurtured. That is her ministry. And if she can manage that outside the home, that's fine. But she needs to make sure that is her priority. The idea that a mom can prioritize her career above her children, that's just not a biblical model. We just don't see that in the Bible. Now, workers in the home I mentioned in 
Titus 2.5, means busy at home. So this is not to say that a mother who is a full-time mother should stay home, eat ice cream, and watch Desperate Housewives. That is certainly not what Paul's saying. The homemaker is home busy. She's working. And if you talk to a a full-time mother who is following God's biblical model, she will be a busy woman. Just read Proverbs 31, and you will see the virtuous woman is a mother whose priority is her home. And the interesting thing about that is she is hardworking. She is industrious. We find she is not confined to the walls of her home. But she's out in the street, she's doing things, but it is all, don't miss it, for the purpose and the priority of her home. That's God's model. You don't like it? Take it up with him, all right? I didn't come up with this. And so I must say that we must look at God's word and we must look at the state state of our society. And if we do that, it should be obvious to any Christian that America needs more, not less, More full-time mothers. We need more full-time mothers. Now, how is it that we can celebrate when a woman says, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to dedicate my life to a career in science. I'm going to dedicate my life to a career in uh, medicine or law or some civil service and such. But when a woman wants to dedicate her life to the greatest institution that our God created, we say, what a shame. What a waste. You just want to be a mother and give your life to raising your children. I believe that's a shame. C.S. Lewis understood this once he wrote of a housewife's work. It is surely, in reality, the most important work in the world. What do ships, railways, miners, cars, government, etc. exist for except that people may be fed, warmed, and safe in their homes? To be happy at home is the end of all human endeavor. First, to be happy to prepare for being happy in our real home hereafter. And secondly, in the meantime, to be happy in our houses. We wage war in order to have peace. We work in order to have leisure. We produce food in order to eat it. So, to housewives, Lewis says, your job is the one for which all others exist. As a homemaker, mothers are home with their children, prioritizing their home above their career. To whatever extent they are home, that, is a, that depends on the mother. That depends on her situation. But she must, if she's to be a mother, she's to follow God's design, she needs to give those children the home that they can be nurtured in, where they can grow to know and love God. Just read the first nine chapters of Proverbs and you will discover that according to God, this world is a dangerous place for a child. The world is a dangerous place for children. And to counteract that then, God designed that children would grow up in a safe space. It's called a home. And the one that God gave charge over the home, nurturing it, raising the children in that home, is mothers. Amazing. Obviously, fathers have a role in this, but the focus here is mothers, and it's a greenhouse The home is a greenhouse for learning to live God's way. So God designed a home, or God designed mothers to be homemakers, and that doesn't mean mothers must be home all the time, or stay-at-home moms, or full-time moms necessarily, but it does require that mothers prioritize their children. And they must prioritize their children above their career. That's a mother's identity in the Bible sense. A mother 
can prioritize her career above her children, but that's just not God's design. To nurture their children, mothers must be homemakers. Secondly, to nurture children, mothers must be disciple makers. Now turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. We'll look at verse 6 and 7. If you haven't noticed, children aren't born with an instruction manual. We might wish that they were. Uh, You don't have them coming into the earth with instruction manuals because our God gave us a one-size-fits-all instruction manual. For all humanity, it's the Bible. That is our instruction manual for children, for how to nurture them. And so while children need a safe space environment in which they may feel the security of their mother's love, the home was also to be a place for instruction. You see, instruction is the essential element in discipleship. And in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, God told his people, These words which I am commanding you this day shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit down in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. God not only calls mothers to be homemakers who give their children a safe space, but he calls mothers to be disciple makers who give their children an environment saturated with the word of God. That's God's biblical model. God designed that mothers along with fathers be then the primary instructors of their children. That is what you will find in Scripture. Not Big Brother, not the U.S. government. I know they really care about your children, right? But, um, but God, that, that was sarcasm actually, uh, but a mother or a father who are following God's design, that is to be the primary instructor of your children. And this is because following God's design, a mother or a father genuinely love their children isn't that true following god's design any godly mother any godly father loves their children unlike the state that reduces the child to a statistic or a civil subject or in the case of communism a means of production and here's the truth any christian who understands his bible on a worldview level and i mean a lot by that okay christians need to do that more often Um, not just cherry-pick verses out of the Bible. We need to understand the Bible on a worldview level, and that's something I'm very passionate about, if you know me. But, um, But when we do, we will realize that the public education system in our country is really a godless, antichrist system of indoctrination. I don't use that lightly. Uh, What I mean by that is the public school systems in our nation are not interested in teaching our children how to think for themselves, how to reason to truth. But they are very interested in telling our children what to think and in thinking for them a godless system of antichrist philosophy. There's no neutrality in our secular system of education. It's hardly education anymore if you know what education really means. And some of us may have no choice but to enroll our children in the public education system. And if that is you, then I have to say there's a grace for that. If there's no way around that for you, there is a special grace for you. But Christian, if that is you, do not for once relinquish your responsibility from God as your child's primary instructor. Because you are the one that will stand before God one day and give an account for your child. And you can't blame the state. You will give an account to God for the children he gave to you. You are their primary instructor. You may not have then the most time with your child if 
your situation doesn't allow that, but if that's you, I say you better be the loudest. You better make sure you have your child's heart. Like in Proverbs, we see that theme. My son, give me your heart. That is a parent's job. And if you need to talk to a pastor, if you take advantage of the church, whatever you got to do, get other people involved. You say, I'm having trouble. I need help. Talk to your child. Know what they're thinking. Know what they're being taught. Reason critically with them. And if you need help from an outside source, do that. But don't be naive. There's a lot of work to do if your child is in these secular schools that are teaching what they are. To mothers and fathers, God says in Proverbs 22.6, You, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You train your child when they're young. Before they leave the nest. Because when they leave, that's it. You can't train them anymore. Young people are like clay. They come out fresh. They're very impressionable. Too impressionable, we might even say. They pick up all the things we don't want them to pick up. Even from ourselves. But that is the time to train them. To mold them and make them. To what God wants them to be. And when they get older, we can't do that anymore. I've had the opportunity to work with teenagers for several years and in my time, I, I think back to a certain situation where Anna and I were counseling a very troubled young lady and she came from a very troubled home, broken home, in a broken society, broken young lady. And it hit me at that time. It really hit me deep. This is why God designed for parents to take responsibility for their children. God help and God will help and God has given grace and there are miracles, right? Children, to make it through that, to swim through that and somehow serve the Lord. It's happening to the glory of God and, and those children are an incredible trophy of God's grace. But can I say this? It shouldn't be that way. Not when a child is growing up in a Christian home. Christian parents, you ought to be the primary instructors of your children to rear them, to know and serve God. Can make that decision for them but you sure can point them in the right direction. In Acts 16, we read how Paul came to Lystra and found there a young man that he took under his wing. His name was Timothy. But if you read Paul's second letter to Timothy, you'll know that uh, Timothy, his mother Eunice, she was a Christian. She followed the Lord. She was a Jewish Christian. His father in Acts 16, we're told, was a Greek. He was a non-believer. But if you read 2 Timothy, you'll see that Eunice taught her son the scriptures in such a way that this young man never forgot it. And so here was a godly mother who, though she was married to an ungodly man, was raising a godly seed. Timothy would go on to serve the Lord and make a difference for his sake. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go. He told his disciples, he told his followers, all mothers included, go make disciples in all nations. And mothers, I have to say, mothers are the best disciple makers on the planet because they are the most committed. They are the most committed to their disciples, their children. And they have the most time with them. That's God's design. God designed that mothers cherish their children as from him. He designed that mothers nurture their children to know him. But let me briefly add, the biblical model of motherhood also shows us, thirdly, that she dedicates her children to serve him. She dedicates her children to serve God. That's the point and purpose of motherhood, ultimately. 
Turn back to Psalm 127. And I'm, I'm not, when I talk about mothers dedicating their children to God, I'm not talking about a formal ceremony of dedication, though that's certainly appropriate. But we're talking about dedication in the sense that a mother, after God's design, knows her children belong to the Lord. She knows God already owns her children. And so she says, God, here, I'm giving back to you what you gave to me. That is biblical. Psalm 127.3. We read this before, but behold, children are a gift of who? The Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now listen. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. How are children like arrows? The simplest answer is that they are sent. They are sent forth. And they are sent forth with a purpose. They are sent forth to achieve a certain purpose in life. A good archer doesn't carelessly send his arrow, but he sends it with good aim because he knows that once that arrow leaves the string, he can no longer direct it. The arrow is on its own. I know the analogy doesn't follow perfectly, but God's design for mothers is not to keep their arrows in the quiver. Not to polish their arrows, not to keep their arrows in the basement, (laughs) if you follow me, right? Not even to necessarily keep those arrows close. But a mother's responsibility is to send the arrows. By dedicating to God, she sends the arrows to accomplish what God would have them accomplish that they might have great effect in the service of our God. See, here's an earth-shattering reality in the biblical model of motherhood. Mothers, don't miss this. That in the biblical model of motherhood, mothers are not raising children for themselves. You're not raising children for yourself. If you are ultimately raising children merely for your own pleasure and amusement, let me say, you are setting yourself up for terrible disappointment. And all you'll do is look on the past. And cherish the past. Because that's all you'll have. But a mother should know that the truest joy is the joy that we find described in 3 John verse 4. Now I know we don't often look or think about the book of 3 John. It's kind of a very forgotten book in the Bible. But it's also important. It's in there. And in 3 John verse 4, here is described this truest joy that every mother needs to know. John says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Wow. Praise God. That is what every mother should desire. That's what the biblical model is about. A mother who raises her child to serve God will never regret it. Never regret it. The Bible gives examples of mothers who dedicated their children to serve God and what a difference they made in this world. I think of the book of Exodus where we're told how Pharaoh is ordering the abortion of every Hebrew male infant that is born. And here was a mother, Jochebed. She had a baby boy. And she hides him. And when she can no longer hide him, in an act of faith, she puts that little baby. Imagine, in her shoes, she puts that little baby in a basket covered with pitch, gives him up to God by sending him down river. And you know what is amazing about that story? God took that little baby. His name would be Moses took him out of the water and raised him up to be the greatest leader that history has ever known. 
You give your child to God and see what he will do. Children were not given to us as God's gift for ourselves. It's not wrong to enjoy them. We should. It's not wrong to love them. We must. But God didn't give us children for ourselves. He gave us children for his glory. Mothers need to understand that. Christian mothers will. Hannah gives us another example. She gives this child from the Lord, this precious gift. She dedicates him to God. That's amazing. God designed mothers to cherish, nurture, and dedicate their children. Much more could be said. But Christians, of all people, must be committed to a Christian model of motherhood. Why do we even have to say that? Because many Christians aren't. It's sad. They decide to follow the culture and rather than our God, who is immutable. And his plan still works in the 21st century. And it's still the best thing for us in the 21st century. And I know this is hard. A lot of this is difficult. Jesus then says to any mother who is weary, Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Does that include mothers? Oh yes, absolutely. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, I feel sorry for any mother who doesn't come to Jesus. How despairing it is to try to raise kids without the real source of strength in Jesus Christ. Every mother needs rest. We can find that in Jesus. And this especially goes for any single mother. How difficult, right? You have the world against you. But Jesus says to any single mother, if you're weary, again, if your man is not there, come to me and I will give you rest. There's grace for whatever God calls a mother to do. To empty nesters, to those whose children are out the home, pray for your children. Love your children. You may not have the opportunity to steer them like you could when they were young. But you let your children know that whenever they listen, whenever they come back, maybe they're away from God, you be that father, the prodigal son, who is there waiting. And you let them know, when they call, you be ready. You be ready. To us who are not mothers, what does this have to do with us? <laughs> Let's honor mothers. We should honor mothers. Time and time again throughout Scripture, we are commanded to honor our father and our mother. I just read a story about a guy who's suing his parents. He's suing his mother for bringing him into this world because he said it's not fair that he should have to endure all the suffering. That's not a joke. Beloved, that is not a joke and that ideology, which is called antinatalism, is actually growing. I would imagine that it, it becomes more and more popular. But it's a sad story and it's a very sad way to view life. It's very anti-biblical. But several times throughout the Bible, God says this. He says, you honor your mother. You honor your mother and that's what we want to do this morning. And I think with that, we, let's honor God's biblical design for mothers. Mothers-to-be, perhaps in this room. Young mothers, maybe full-time, part-time, wherever you are. Hey, you follow God's design, you're going to meet with opposition. Our culture is going to call you foolish, lazy, ridiculous, old school, oppressed. You're part of the oppressed class. Hey, you can listen to them or you can listen to God. But here's what is so sad. If those of us in this church who know Christ don't rally behind those women and hold up their hands and encourage them. Shame on us if we don't honor those women doing God's will because they are certainly swimming against the culture. This world, this culture, this, this country for sure needs mothers who will prioritize their children. Isn't that right? We certainly need that and not anything less. Let's pray.